The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 228 for Monday, November 30th, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the show. I'm Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire, on the other end, John Braun. How you doing, John? In Fairfield. That's right. Connecticut. Fairfield, Connecticut, as opposed to Fairfield elsewhere. It's cold here, too. But uh, we had a warm, uh, so, so we had a little time off there, Dave, a little, uh, little Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's right. We didn't take any time <laughs> off for the show for that, mind you. But no. we took some time with, uh, away with our families. That's right. Yeah, I did a, a five-day weekend, because most people got... Thursday and Friday, otherwise known as Black Friday, and then Cyber Monday. I don't know. I think that still sounds kind of manufactured, but and and a lot of companies, uh, I heard, and in fact, a lot of states. Your state, as a matter of fact, gave most of their state employees Friday off by way of a furlough. Uh, so it was indeed Black Friday for uh, for the state of Connecticut, as far as I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But uh, one thing I noticed, Dave, so uh, I sent you this link, but I, I just thought it was kind of interesting and we should link to it. But um, I don't know about you, but, you know, in the Northeast here, I get the sense that people have what, what I would consider a traditional Thanksgiving meal, which is a turkey, maybe some stuffing, potatoes, uh, maybe some, you know, kind of offbeat things. But then I, I found something here which shows me how little I know about this country. OK, OK. <laughs> I lived in the Northeast my whole life. And I think, well, no, you you. Well, yeah, you were in Texas for a bit. Yeah, about six years. Um, so anyways, whereas I lived in, in Connecticut and actually in the same county uh, for my, right? my entire existence. But looking at some of the recipes, what the New York Times did is they did a really neat little article and they uh, captured some uh, recipe searches from a site and they mapped it by geography. And some of the things I see here uh, and the areas that they're in kind of g- give me a uh, uh, pause. Interesting. Um, so some of the things I found here that I have never heard of, corn pudding. Yeah, I've never heard of that either. And apparently that is a, a biggie in, uh, looks like uh, Virginia. Okay. North Carolina. I think that's Kentucky there. Uh, uh, is it Ohio? Yeah, maybe Pennsylvania. Uh, but looking at some of the regional things here and yeah. some, some of the weird stuff. Um, I mean, other stuff I see here, you know, uh, Wow, they, they say that uh, for turkey brining, the state of New Hampshire is below average, but we brine our turkey here and we love it. So, yeah, we had yeah. Uh, we had Pilot Pete and his family over. My my daughter on our trip home uh, on the airplane, we were on JetBlue and she was watching the Food Network. Now, she's nine. She'll be 10 uh, very shortly here. But uh, but she got all kinds of recipes out of this, like gourmet very aggressive recipes. She did this. The, we did a homemade, completely homemade stuffing from scratch. Mm. She did a uh, a bread pudding from scratch. Uh, we, we, this, this Thanksgiving menu was was over the top this year, but uh, but it worked out very well. So it was nice. Here's another peanut butter pie. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> All right, now you're making me hungry. We got to get into the show here, otherwise I'm going to need. Yes, to go we and do. Eat dinner. So again. we'll link to this, but I thought it was very interesting because there are certainly some regional uh, variations that. Uh, yeah, but apparently apple pie is quite the Northeast thing. I think I can see that. Sure, or the New England a thing. Bunch of apple trees, and of course versus other pies. And of but, course, uh, in addition to apple pie being, or in, in addition to apples being a, uh, a, a in in great abundance here locally. Uh, of course, cheddar cheese is from the Northeast, and apple pie and cheddar cheese together makes for you know just about the best dessert ever. So, all right, we're gonna stop. Oh no, 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 no! If you if you cannot call yourself a New Englander if you if you haven't at least tried that, uh, and I I'm pretty sure you don't get entrance in the club uh, unless you enjoy it. So there you go. All right, send me a, a recipe. Oh. It's apple pie. Cheddar cheese. You cut the cheddar cheese. You put it on top of the apple pie. It's just not right. You put them both in the microwave about 30 seconds just to get the cheese melted a little. And then you enjoy. It's that simple. 
We are a full service podcast here. Uh, I don't know what part of New England you live in, but I'll I'll, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, okay. The listeners are going to let you have it, I think, or they'll let me have it. Well, you're the far north. I'm I'm kind of close. You're not really in New England down there. I don't think. What are you talking? The southern Southern Fairfield County, like that man. That's not. I I grew up there. Trust me, I know. That's not. Come on, we're all next to New York. Well, actually, no, no. You're you're right. You 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 got Vermont as a buffer there. So uh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Go. Even northern Connecticut's more New England than, than just southern Fairfield County. It's more just a suburb of New York. Uh, community. Thanks. Hey, I, I grew up there. I can say this. I, you know, I, know. I, I haven't spent as much of my life there as you have, but, uh, but certainly, you know, enough. No, I agree with you. Nor- northern and northern Connecticut is. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. A-led. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Uh, right. I, I have an issue with tabs in Safari not displaying their correct color or shade of gray. Uh, and he sent us a screenshot where it, it showed uh, that the tabs were all either. There were many that looked active and many that looked inactive. And there wasn't one that was, you know, it should be many that look inactive and only one active. But that's not uh, that's not what his screenshot showed. So, uh what what uh, he he then went on to say, he said, I've cleared all caches with Onyx and reset from within Safari, taking all available boxes. I've also reinstalled Safari from the Snow Leopard install DVD in the optional installs package, which we've talked about recently and updated to version 4.0.4, which still did not fix the issue. Uh, any suggestions would be brilliant. And we went back and forth here and uh, talked about. It perhaps being, um, you know, related to the user account, typical troubleshooting uh, procedures as we as we discuss here, John. So the first thing I said was, all right, you know, create a test user account. Does it happen there? And uh, he wrote back and he said, I just created a new user account and the problem does not appear in the new account. Uh, so I'm thinking it's an add on to Safari. Where are they stored? Now, Safari add ons are stored in two places, John, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. One is in the home slash library slash internet space plugins folder. And then uh, the other is take the home out of it. So just in the main hard drive library, internet plugins. Uh, and there's a difference between the two of those. Do you, do you want to uh, do you want to enlighten the readers or should I just keep going here? I will enlighten is Go. that the one that is in your user account. I'm, I'm going to take a. You're you know, right. Just you, a shot in the dark here. That is right. for your user account and the ones that you were talking about that come off the, uh, you know, the, the top portion of the drive are for everybody. Right. So depending. Uh, so actually, the, the advice to you know, clear things out is relevant if you clear out the right area. And that may not have happened. Uh, I'm curious. But, you know, and, and that actually suggests a, a strategy here. And I rarely, Dave, when I install something and it even asks me the question, would you like it for everybody or would you like it for you? Like even my, my old pal menu eaters. Yep. Uh, last I checked, their installer would say, hey, you want it for just you or everybody? I will say just me, even though I think it's the most wonderful thing ever. Yes. I still want to maintain that clean, uh, you know, uh, clean from st- from uh, initial install, fresh feeling in my operating system. <laughs> yeah. No. So don't pollute. I, I would say unless you have a really, really, really good reason, don't pollute your system. And I'm going to say pollute. I'm, I'm yeah. going to stick by that. Don't pollute your system with stuff that everybody is subject to unless you got a good reason, like it's a security thing or, uh, you know, an access control thing. But if it's a user preference thing, that's, I think, just asking for trouble. So even if you have to do it on an individual basis, I think it's worth, uh, although it, 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 it's a pain in the neck because you have to keep track of it for each user. Uh, uh, so that's my take on a general strategy. And I'm, I'm glad we covered this and we kind of took that little tangent there. And I, no, I, I would suspect you agree with me, Dave. Like I, if you don't, let me have it. I agree with you 100%. So I, I'm going to I'm going to quickly detour back to the original question. And, and then I think this tangent is kind of the takeaway that that is, you know, of value to everyone. So the original question, I would go into the uh, library slash Internet plugins folder that is inside your home folder uh, and start just taking things out one by one. Take them out. Launch Safari. See if the problem persists. If it doesn't take the you know, quit Safari. Take the next thing out. Launch Safari. See if the problem persists. I. I'm almost certain you're going to narrow down to uh, to that. If it's not that, it might be a Safari, the preference file for Safari. But uh, hmm. but my guess is it's going to be one of those plugins. So hopefully, Aled, that that answers your 
your question. On the on to the tangent that you that you introduced here, John. Man, you hit the nail on the head. Any time I am asked, you know, be it default folder or menu meters or any of those utilities that I even like you said that I consider must haves. Although menu meters, I've 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 let go by the way. I know you've defected. Yes, that's right. But uh, and I use iStat menus now. But uh, but for any of that stuff, including iStat menus, I always choose install just for this user, uh, and it's it's. It's for exactly this reason. It's so that when I create that test user account, or hopefully I've already created it, it's not polluted with any of the junk that I've added onto my machine. And therefore, uh, I know that I can launch that test user account and and be relatively certain that I've got as pristine a user account as is possible uh, on on any given machine. So, yep, absolutely. It was a good one. All it right. was. Yep. Who, uh, All right, oh, we're gonna get, we got we got the uh, tongue twisters coming here. Yeah, we're gonna get, we're we're gonna get geeky. So we 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 went you know one direction here, kind of general stuff. Now we're gonna get geeky, but this is interesting. Ramon writes, "I have an Airport Extreme uh, with firmware seven point four point two, and it is working perfectly. The problem is that my ISP Rogers here in Canada caps usage at ninety five gigabits per month." There are four users in our household, which makes it very difficult to track the Internet usage. Do you know of any tools I can use to track our monthly usage? If possible, I'd like to be able to set up a notification for when we reach 75, 90 and, of course, 100 percent. OK, I got a rant. I'll save it. OK, so technical. OK, well, let's get technical first. That's fine. Sure. (laughs) But keep the rant on deck because I I have strong feelings now about the rants. The rants warming up. OK, good. Uh, So I do this here now. I monitor to make sure that I don't go over my 250 gigabyte cap, which is what Comcast has published as oh. the, yes, you have unlimited, but if you go over 250 and you do it a lot, uh, we reserve the right to you really know, yank your So account. you have a cap. Now, do you well, have a, well, do you have a, what you call a regular consumer account or is this a business account or? I currently have a regular consumer account. In fact, I have, as I've mentioned before, the slowest consumer account that you can get because it gives me all the speed okay. that I need. Because I know they have these, uh, and I think sure. uh, mine, which is uh, you know Cablevision or Optimo Online, has the same thing where they have business class ones that I think typically you know raise those limits and stuff. But I'm just curious where you're at because yeah, I think uh, I'm the same way. I don't. I, I think they published this. Yeah, but unless you're really, you know, sucking down the bandwidth, it, it, it's more or less unlimited. And since I'm really only using the machine, right? You know. In the evenings and really not so much during the day, I, I don't think I ever, you know, and I'm, I'm not running massive amounts of, you know, uploads and downloads when I'm not here. So, um, so there's, there's a couple of ways to do this now. I'm, and I'm hoping that we have a listener out there that can enlighten us to a more Mac uh, friendly way of, of getting this done. Uh, but I'll talk about the two ways that I know how and, and John, we can bounce this back and forth and, and go from there. The, the, with an airport extreme, the device itself does not have the software available. It might, it might be in it. It might not uh, to log and track this data itself. So, but airport base stations, at least current versions of the airport firmware allow you to monitor the base station using something called SNMP, simple network monitoring protocol. And uh, we've gone into this before. We're not going to go too deep into what that is, but essentially what it will let That's, you uh, management, by the way, but management. Thank you. But it that, can be used uh, for monitoring, right. but it can be used for monitoring. That's right. So. No, but you're right. It's management. But in, in this case, that's right. We're using it for monitoring. Sorry. I'm being and, picky. No, that's that's right. Because if you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Uh, there's a tool I use called MRTG, multi router traffic grapher, I believe is what that stands for. Uh, maybe I'll get one of these. Right. And <laughs> and I run correct. that on a machine that sits here. Uh, 100% of the time is on. It's my server machine. And what it does is every five minutes, MRTG pings my router and grabs uh, bandwidth data from it. And then it keeps track of that and saves it and builds, as you might guess by the name, or maybe not because the name's convoluted. Uh, it builds graphs and it shows me graphs for the last uh, hour, graphs for the last week, or maybe graphs for the last day, graphs for the last week. And graphs for the last year. 
And, and, and I think you can even do month, maybe I have monthly graphs in there too, but, but essentially it gives me usage patterns. And from that, I can also get my bandwidth usage. Uh, so, so that's one way of doing it, but it's, there is a way of setting it up with Darwin ports and we've, we'll put a couple of links in the show notes that we, we found of, of step-by-step instructions to set this up, but it's not Mac friendly. I mean, it's, it's a pain in the neck. Okay. Nasty kind of command line and shell script kind of deal. Okay. It it is up until the point where you got it running. And once it's running, you don't have to touch it. And the way you see the graphs is you go in your web browser. So it's very, very simple to, uh, to use once you've set it up. Uh, and I have it monitoring my current, my local router, as well as uh, a bunch of our servers that are offsite. And, you know, it's just a handy little kind of thing to, to use. But, it, but it's a very geeky thing. Uh, and it's very geeky to set up. The other way and the way that I do it for uh, for my local router most of the time. I don't use an, an Apple router. I use a Linksys router and I don't use the Linksys firmware. I use a third party firmware, which is available for free, and it's called DD-WRT. And the current builds of DDWRT have the ability to track their own bandwidth, and it stores the data right there in the router. So I can go at any point in time, and I think, you know, as we were prepping the show here, John, I went in and checked and saw, I went into my router status, and I saw, okay, you know, I clicked on WAN, and it says, great, yep, for the month of November, uh, I've pulled it pulled down 63 gigabytes of data and i've sent out 12 gigabytes of data so i'm well under my 250 cap i'm even well under uh ramon's 95 gigabyte cap and i'm using this constantly so uh and we do do some movie streaming and that sort of thing here so um so that i don't know if that gives you an idea of to bandwidth usage habits but uh but you know it it may be that your cheapest option ramon might be to get a DD Wirt compatible Linksys router and, and just install this software on there and have it man have it monitor itself. It's not going to alert you, uh, but at least you could go and check it. That said, I hope that someone out there will chime in and say, Oh, Hey, Hey, but you missed X. And that's going to give you all that and more and serve it to you on a platter and, you know, spin plates on its, uh, on its fingertips all the while. So do you do that? Spinning the plates, John? Mm, no okay all right well uh so anything to add and then of course you've got your rant ready to go all right well the things that well one thing to add and i think it's just kind of, kind of a little deviation but there are things called things called mibs and i think you touched on this in, in something that you did in the pre-show prep okay do you know what i'm talking about here no but but that's okay well i think this is another option so a mib is a management information base and i think it's a piece of data that can go into an SMP, SNMP device that will expose data that may not otherwise be exposed. Now, this gets down and dirty, and I, I haven't done this for a long time, but I have had to do updates to routers okay. uh, in the past where you add this MIB or you update this MIB table. Because uh, basically SNMP, I think it, it, it's, a, it's a specific way to talk to a router saying, hi, here's the data I'm looking for, and... You know, here's the you know here's the query for this type of data, and please tell me what I need to know. And if it meets the standard, and there's a whole bunch of RFCs that that, that cover this, it'll respond accordingly. Sure. But sometimes you may have to complement what's ready in the device with uh, by updating this MIB table. I think it's what it's called. I don't know if you've ever had to. Oh, interesting. Uh, deal with that. Uh, so, anyways, I thought I'd mention that. We'll link to it. Uh, I I I know I found at least a couple of articles that hinted that if you added a a mid file you could uh, maybe enhance the capabilities of, of your router so so that's one thing okay so it, it's been a while I'll, I'll dig around now i did find one tool uh, i'll mention it and then there yeah and then i'll do the rant okay i did find something called airport monitor utility which although i was able to download and run it it, it seemed to have an issue talking to my uh time capsule but i don't know if i have snmp uh activated Right, because I think that's what it uses. Because it asks for the IP address and some stuff, and then it said, oh, "I can't, I can't find your, you know, device." Where I know I gave it the right IP address, so um, I'll have to play with it. I just downloaded it. It's at a uh, airport monitor utility, truly certifiable.com. He doesn't advertise that it's it's compatible, and it, it hasn't been updated for a while. Uh, I see that it runs on Leopard, so uh, that could be one that looks very Mac like. It looks nice. It just didn't work in my few minutes of of uh, you know playing with it. Sure. And, and, and it's important to note, you, you, you brought this up, John, 
that if you're going to use MRTG with your airport router, you need to go into the airport utility and specifically enable SNMP support, which then will require a restart of the router as any setting change does on uh, on those. So that that's that's a great thing to to catch there. Yeah, actually, I'm looking here. No, you know what? Mine, I'm I'm looking. So if you're on airport utility on my time capsule, advanced statistics, there is. Uh, nope, I have allow SNMP checked. I have allow SNMP over WAN unchecked. Which That's smart. I, I would suggest. Yeah. Actually, there are a lot of uh, again a little tangent, but there are a lot of things in Airport Utility that say allow this and then allow this over WAN. Unless you're comfortable exposing yourself to the world, and you know some people are, some people aren't. Right. <laughs> and and to be uh, clear, WAN is to people outside of your internet connection. Wide right? area that's right. network versus LAN. I, I assume that's their meaning. Is oh, that it, it is. opens it up on the port that's connected to your that's router, right. which is connected, or, or your cable modem or whatever, which is connected to the internet. So That's right. That's right. Yeah, you got to be careful with the exposing that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, without question. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you have a rant, John. You, I mean, it, you're going to have to start this from scratch. You're going to have to build this right up from from well, I have out two of the minor, dirt. I have two places, and then I'll no. I got the rant power going, but I have okay. two places where you could look. At, it's not a total picture of network bandwidth, but both menu meters and the network tab shows you the amount of data that's been sent. Now, as you pointed out, Dave, we were talking about this, but I just thought I'd mention it as a tool. If you're only doing internet traffic, um, either menu meters and their network tab, it'll show you the amount of data that's been sent and received. I think since the last startup. Because I think this is maintained at a lower level. Or activity monitor, the network tab, it'll show the total amount of data sent and received on an interface. That can give you a rough feel. But, but it doesn't, as, as you and I discussed it in, in our pre-show, it doesn't discriminate between traffic to the internet or traffic to another computer. Right. It's just traffic on that interface. But if you're, all your access is, is primarily on the internet, then maybe it's not a bad place to get a, a rough feel but here's my rant why are they not telling you this data the, who, they know who, what it is who is, is, is like, they who is they they is the cable company in this ah, case rogers yes. is it yeah yeah the, the isp yeah. um so you know this number but are you going to give me a way to find out what it is or is it just kind of a you know like a roll of dice i mean how can i trust that they're measuring it properly and and i've seen various discussions online where people would use a tool like some of the ones we mentioned and thought they were at a certain bandwidth use and the isp said oh no 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 you really blew that away and we're we're going to nail you for an extra charge uh, who do you, i'm not aware of any though uh, i've never had a reason to look at mine but it, could they tell you you know what I'm saying? I mean, I think he has an awesome suggestion for a suggestion for his ISP is when you reach 50% or 75 or 90, how about sending me a little email saying, yo, <laughs> come on. I mean, other, other companies, my credit card company, I mean, uh, some of them are my utility company, do a great job of breaking down my usage into very fine level detail. Can't a network company, which that's kind of what you do, can't an ISP do this too? I think they're just being lazy. Well, of course they can. I mean, if they're doing it to bill you, they they certainly could report it to you. When I asked Comcast about this, they said, yeah, you know, they were pretty upfront about it. They said, yeah, we had to put this in place. We need to be able to, to you know, know who's using just gobs and gobs of bandwidth. But uh, but we had to do it quickly. And no, we don't have an interface for you to see this, but it's coming. So, it, you know, at least they were, you know, like, yeah, OK. Yeah. All right. Because they, they, you know, and they know, you know, they know that. Right. That's right. <laughs> that this is a measurable quantity. It just has to be exposed to the customer through That's whatever right. yeah. backend systems they have. So, um, so yeah, to me, I find that kind of annoying. Though I, I, I can say personally, I don't know anybody who has had their ISP yell at them. Oh no. About using too much bandwidth. Yeah. And you know, I use a lot. I mean, I'm, I, I work here. It, it's our home. We have, like I said, we do quite a bit of streaming, uh, you know, movies and, and TV shows and that sort of thing. And we, we don't even hit 100 gigs most months. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you, you'd have to use a lot. But uh, but yeah, it's look, possible. Again, if, you're, if you're if you're it's running possible. a certain I think what they're looking for and I don't blame them. They're looking for people running servers or That's BitTorrents. Right. That's right. Or other things that are pretty much constantly slamming their network. And, you know, I got to say, I don't blame them for, for wanting to manage that usage 
You know, yeah. I don't, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not running a server farm here. And if I was, I'd buy enough bandwidth, uh, you know, to kind of support that. So yeah, just, just, yeah, get, get the data. And it sounds like, yeah, they're, they're, they're working on that path, but I, you know, as long as you're not abusing the system, I don't think you have anything to worry about. So, right. Right. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I want to tell you, John and all our listeners, of course, about our first sponsor for the show, which is audio engine at audio Audio Engine makes a lot of cool things. Uh, their their strength is in their speakers, and it's their Audio Engine twos or the A twos uh, that I like to talk about here because it's such a perfect fit for for most of you folks. Or uh, you know, tis the season, as it were, uh, as as gifts. Right? These are desktop speakers. Uh, they it's two separate speakers, each inside each enclosure. Uh, you've got two more speakers. You, so you, a total of four speakers in two enclosures. Uh, each each enclosure has a tweeter and a woofer. And it's got a little port to uh, to help enhance the bass. These speakers have been designed for listening to MP3s. MP3s are, uh, by definition, a lossy uh, way to store and play music. Uh, and there's some things that happen that are pretty consistent across the board to MP3s. And. The folks at Audio Engine analyzed a lot of this and designed these speakers to bring out the best in MP3s. And I have to say, uh, based on my listening, I use a set of these A2s actually over at the house. Uh, they sound fantastic. Uh, they really do a nice job of reproducing things. And it's not just you, you certainly can set them at a, at a volume where it makes great uh, sense to use just at your computer there. But if you have a bigger room and you want to open it up a little bit, the A2s will handle it. Uh, you know, we've, we've got it to where they handle kind of our study in our kitchen, uh, and they do it swimmingly. It's great. Uh, so this is the audio engine A2s. They come in black or white. They are $199, but using the coupon code M G G T E N in all uppercase, that's M G G 10 spelled out T E N. You get another 10% off. So you can get these for about 180 bucks. Uh, you can check them all out at AudioEngineUSA.com. They do come with what they call a free audition. You get 30 days. Uh, if you don't like them, send them back. They'll send you your money. So AudioEngineUSA.com. And, uh, nice. But yeah. I'm going to bet, based on my experience, so I have the big brother, the A5, uh -huh. you're not, you're not going to send it back. No. No. <laughs> These are the no, only speakers not. I've ever had, Dave, where I can turn the volume all the way up, and they don't distort. They just crank yeah they've got built-in amplifiers right so the amplifiers are yeah. perfectly matched to the speakers that they're driving and and that helps that immensely yeah that's right that's right so Love very it. cool all right all right uh let's go on to dean here uh dean writes i recently upgraded to a 27 inch imac and it got me to thinking that it had been a while since i backed up my iphoto library while doing the backup i began to wonder if i was getting all of the file information by that I mean, I have been using the faces feature of iPhoto, and I wonder if the metadata is stored within the iPhoto information or another associated database file that I may not have backed up when I told Apple's backup program to copy my iPhoto library. Can you tell me if I did it correctly? Okay, uh, so do we know the version? Uh, we're going to assume because it's a 27 inch iMac that he's got the latest ah. version of iPhoto. Okay, uh, because, because I have a, that. a yeah. flashback, but uh, we may not need to talk about the flashback. Okay, so uh, go on. So uh, I, I did some digging, and John, you did you did some digging too. And what we found was that inside, if you go into your home folder, into pictures, and then there is a package there that appears to just be one file called iPhoto Library. Unless how you do I know, name. Dave? How how would I possibly know if it's a package? Uh, you would. Uh, click on it and do a get info is how I find out if it's a package. Uh, the other way I find out is I right click on it and I see if uh, if while I'm there, it says show package contents. Uh, really? Because when I do menu. a get info, kind is iPhoto library. Oh, isn't that interesting? Just so, at least on on my MacBook, which oh, does have this right. with the latest uh, iPhoto. So okay, just no, it is. I was asking a question and and I answered it because I, I just brought it up here. Yeah, no, but it is a right. weird kind. It is. 
I mean, I think that hints that it really is a package. And, and yeah, as you pointed out, if you right click on it or control click on it, it'll say show package contents. And then, you know, and this by, is a neat- by package. It, you know, we talk a lot about this here, but it, but it's an important definition. A package is Mac OS 10's construct for taking an entire folder of data and displaying it and treating it to the user as though it's a single file. However, it's not. It's a folder and it can have subfolders and it can have all kinds of stuff in there, just like your documents folder or any other folder you've got. It just on the surface hides that fact. Uh, but if you want to see inside the folder, you right click on it, as we said, and choose show package yeah. contents. Um, and uh, do you have something to add, John, or you want to take it from here? Um, well, I wanted to mention is that so on another one of my machines here, I have the prior on the G5. I have the prior version of iPhoto. Let me just. Okay. Uh, yeah. Show and finder. I think. Yeah, it's the prior one. But what it has, if I go to my pictures folder, because I really uh, photos is on the other other computer. Okay. So I really haven't updated uh, portions of my life. Yep. But if I go to pictures, hold on, I have an iPhoto library folder. But if I open it and click on the little triangle, I'm in list view here. Yep. It shows me pretty much all the pieces that um, that you found in in the package. There's a folder okay. called Originals, called Data, folders by year, a lot of .data files, some XML files. But then, as we noticed. Um, you know, if you are running the latest uh, and you look in the package, there's a couple of faces files. Right. Yeah. There's face blob .dv, DB rather and face .db, which are the uh, two places where iPhoto is storing the faces data. So as long as whatever program you're using to back up backs up the entire iPhoto library package uh, and, and you can do that just by copying it in the finder, too. You don't need to do anything fancy. Uh, just copy it from where it is to your backup drive. That is going to get the uh, the faces data and, and all of that good stuff. So, yeah. So I would think if if you wanted to, because I, I have heard from some people that faces can get confused. Mm -hmm. If you get too much data and you do too much misidentification, either purposely or sure. by accident, it may get you know, like I've seen it find faces, you know, paintings and stuff like that that aren't really faces, at least of physical people, but but other things. So, um, but yeah, again, as long as you're you're backing it up somehow, you can revert perhaps to just replacing those files. Well, actually, I'm I'd be very careful back. about that. I'm going to take that back because I don't know if there are other files relying on those files. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think the best strategy would be if if something happens, you may want to revert to a slightly earlier version if all of a sudden faces explodes or, or things just aren't working out yeah i'd, I'd say you know i'm you can I'm you can reset that. the faces data and kind of start from scratch oh, with it okay too. yeah yeah which would okay but say you just know you've crossed you know some point right. where things started falling apart um yeah actually you know i'm i'm gonna agree with you on that that probably replacing just those files is probably not the greatest idea i yeah i wouldn't do that without uh Without Apple's blessing, I, I'd call I'd call Apple Care support is what I'd do is if I if I really got to the point where I was considering doing that. So, whip. <laughs> nice. Uh, no, we, we are going to say do not. I, I'm going to say in general, do not replace individual elements of a package file unless you know what the heck you're doing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'll agree with that. Uh, all right, let's move on to uh, to some of our tips here. We may come back around to some questions, but we've got some good tips. Recently, uh, we, we were talking about batteries, actually, in the last two shows, and, and I speculated. I, st I started thinking, well, you know, with the way I use my machine, maybe I'm better off leaving it on the bench or on the, you know, on my desk when I'm not traveling with it without a battery in it. And, uh, and Mark caught that and wrote in. He said, during Mac Geek Gab 226, Dave was wondering if it was better to leave the battery out of his MacBook Pro when it was plugged in for extended periods of time. Although that does sound like a good idea, sometimes the MacBook Pro uses more power than the power adapter itself can provide. And I believe that is the reason that a full battery hovers between 97 to 100%. When you run the laptop without the battery in, it is designed to reduce its processor speed significantly to avoid it from shutting off if it needs more power than the charger alone provides. And there is indeed an Apple knowledge base article that says all of this uh, pretty, pretty directly uh, saying that it is going to slow your machine down if you run it without a battery, 
So, uh, so thank you for catching that Mark. And, and I wanted to make sure we shared that with all of you. Uh, while it sounds like a good idea, don't run the machine without a battery, uh, unless right. you absolutely have to. All right. Here's a, can you do reverb? <laughs> uh, yeah, go ahead. You're, you're on <laughs> geek challenge. All right. There you go. <laughs> no, I just, no, I do have one. How do you know what's from what I understand the, the, the newer processors of whatever flavor can adjust their speed dynamically. The, uh, right. You know, the, the core two duo and all that. How do you know what speed it's running at? Do you know utility that, uh, that does that? I, there I, used to be, there used to be a, 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 a thing. I think it was from Intech called speed tools. And not only did it let you see what speed your processor was running, but it also let you, uh, change it. Now there is, uh, in the Mac OS 10 CD, and I think it's maybe it's maybe it's either part of developer tools or part of optional installs. There is the processors uh, preference pane, but I don't think that. Um, oh, and there was this thing called Chud. I don't know if they still have Chud. I thought that. Let yeah, you I don't. Too. I don't know that there's. That's why I made it a currently. challenge because I, I know yeah. you and I have messed with this. So so. The speed that it's advertising, like with menu meters or something else, or through the Apple menu about this Mac, is not necessarily the speed that it's running at, as far as right. Yeah, and I'm looking. I in, know, but how do you know when it's going into a power save or low power mode? Like, like it suggests that if you pull out. Yeah, I used to have, I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was part of Speed Tools from Intech, which is not uh, being developed, at least not for Snow Leopard. But there, there was something that I had in my menu bar that would tell me how fast my CPU was running at any point in time, and and that was. A great thing to obsess over. Uh, exactly. I mean, you know, yeah. the OCD and ADD crowd just, you know, fully. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You, it, maybe I, it's best we don't know. But I if stat anybody menu, knows. Istat menu will tell me how much current and power my CPU is taking. Oh, we, oh the current? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, well, this is telling you that. You know, well, this there, is why there I is use iStat menus. Yeah. All right. Well, there's definitely a relationship between the frequency and the current. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, the, the faster it's running, the more power it draws, and of course, current is an aspect of power. Right. Current times voltage. Okay. Double E less than over. <laughs> but anyways, if there's another tool out there, I, I'd be very interested to see what, if any, variation there is in the in in the speed on. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. But Pro. Yeah. All right. So anyway, thank you, uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, on uh, on Twitter, uh, Harold Putnam, which. Uh, it, it, it conveniently is at Harold Putnam. If anybody wants to uh, get in touch with him, uh, said he used the uh, previous local iDisks folder to save his bacon. We were recently talking about what happens if you uh, had something in your iDisk and you stop doing iDisk syncing, where you no longer have a local copy of your iDisk on your Mac. You uncheck that box in system preferences, and now everything just lives up in Apple's cloud. Uh, you know, what happens to that data? And and Harold was was very quick to point out uh, on your desktop, there is a folder created called previous local iDisks where it takes the disk image from uh, that previous iDisk and puts it in that folder. So you can just mount it like any other disk image and access the data. It's in a static state unless, of course, you change things. Uh, but uh, but very handy. And of course, if you don't need it anymore, it's probably, you know, several gigabytes large. So you can toss it in the trash if you uh if you decide you don't need that data anymore and and i would say so that thank you, you and i both wholeheartedly support saving the bacon yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. that's we're all about that it's just here. a noble calling I mean, it, it is that's right if save you me. can save the bacon save it <laughs> uh where are we time-wise here yeah okay we're doing, we're doing good you're hungry yeah i know we're talking about turkey and bacon what about a bacon wrapped turkey that sounds like a good thing right uh didn't, didn't your wife do that uh, we did a bacon wrap meatloaf. We talked oh, about the bacon wrap. That's turkey. what you had. Yeah. Oh, and it was all nicely. Uh, that that was. Yeah, I she, am hungry. You got to send me a piece of that. She thing. wove the uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> our second sponsor for this show is a Mac oriented company. No surprise there. Cocotech. Uh, and Cocotech is at Cocotech.com. And they are the makers of Pathfinder. Now, Pathfinder is it's a Mac OS 10 file browser. Uh it is built to either complement or, if you like, completely replace Mac OS X's Finder. Uh, and it works very well in that regard. It's got, uh, it's got a couple of things in there that are very cool. One thing you can do is it's got a dual-pane file browser. So you can, in one window, 
uh, navigate to two different places and move things back and forth. Uh, very handy, similar to, to what you get in like transmit uh, when you're FTPing. Uh, it's got something called the drop stack. John, sometimes if I've got a copy of file uh, or move a file, you know, I'll, I'll navigate to where it is. I'll drag it out to my desktop. Then I'll navigate to, uh, you know, where I want to put it. And then I've got to go find it on the desktop. Cause sometimes, you know, if the desktop is in auto arrange mode, you know, file doesn't stay exactly where I put it. So I've, I've now got to go find it and then drag it into, to where I want it. Pathfinder has the drop stack and instead of dragging to the desktop, you drag to the drop stack. The nice thing is the file stays where it was, uh, until you drag it out of the drop stack into its new location. Now, if that new location is on the same drive, it moves it. If it's on a different drive, it copies it. Very, 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 very handy. Uh, and you can have more than one thing in the drop stack and just start peeling them off one by one. Tabbed windows right there. Just like you have in Safari, you get to have these in Pathfinder, your finder replacement. So I don't have to tell you all the benefits of that. Having multiple windows open. Uh, in tabs all combined or multiple folders open and tabs all combined into one clean window, just like you've got in Safari and for you geeks out there. And I know you're there command line is accessible right there from inside Pathfinder. So you can type terminal commands and get stuff done uh, right there from within Pathfinder. This is available at cocotech.com. Uh, obviously it's software. So, you know, they've got a 30 day free demo. You can download it, check it out, run it in totally feature complete mode. When you're done and you want to buy, it's 40 bucks, 39.95 US. Uh, and you can check all this out at cocotech.com. All right, John, we've been talking about the Magic Mouse lately. Yeah. And we've had uh, a <laughs> what's that? Uh yuck. How about yuck? Okay. I still have, don't like it. Have you tried one yet? No, I did link Yes, I have, oh, okay. and I still don't like it. No, and I, I actually uh, linked in the last show notes, and we'll link to it again. But because uh, you and I were talking about it and, and speculating about the number of buttons and, and other things, I uh, I fix it has a very nice, great tear down of that mouse. And yeah, as, as you, not surprisingly, the entire inside of it is covered with touch sensors. And, and so I think right. in the last show we speculated there may be some oh so clever developer or developers that may have enhanced the functionality because I think it does only have one mechanical click button. Yes, um, yes. Which I think uh, when you look at the take apart. Okay. So, um, but, you know, I used it. I, I got to say, um, it didn't thrill me. I, I'm i just so used to a trackball. And I mean, oh, yeah. well, also at work, I have a mini that has the mighty mouse. And that I don't like either. I mean, the little scroll ball is kind of aggravating. I, just once you, you get into the trackball groove and you have it available, I have it both at work and at home. It's it's just something that you expect. So oh, um, That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I'd be I'd be curious to hear how you like uh, something like the Mighty Mouse, it, or the, sorry, the Magic Mouse, uh, if you used it for several days. I mean, it, it you know, it, I I think I'm gonna really enjoy it when I travel because uh, you know it's Bluetooth, so I don't need to bring an adapter, and yet I've got this wireless mouse totally available, real slim, right? So it fits in my bag, and I'm good to go when I'm at a desk at a hotel. I've got everything I need, and it's all set up and ready to go. So. Anyway, so but our listeners came to the rescue. Absolutely. And we've got two, uh, not one, but two utilities. One is uh, from Terry. Uh, and I think I've got the name right. And one of your recent podcasts, you talk about. Oh, no, 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 never mind. Uh, a quick tip. I also bought a magic mouse. I missed the middle button to open new tabs under Firefox and Safari, too. I believe I found this neat free app called Middle Click. It lets you choose between a three-finger click or three-finger tap to simulate a middle click. I chose tap. Works like a charm. Uh, now, this is pot. This middle click utility uh, will let you do this on either the Magic Mouse or on your trackpad on a MacBook Pro. If you've got a, uh, a MacBook Pro that has the multi-touch enabled trackpad, which all the new ones do. So, very, very cool. That's number one. Do you have anything to add before I move on to number two? John? No, wait, it lets you do a triple. Oh, to do the center. Uh, all right. Got it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I'm looking right ingenious. now at the gestures I have. Well, you no, know, it's funny because no, I do a. Okay, no, I do a triple. I'm sorry. I, I do a triple finger swipe for right. navigation, but not a triple click. But not the triple click. Which is obviously not an option because this only has one button. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. I'll have to try that. All right. That's uh, oh, that's awesome. Okay. And then uh, there is Tal wrote in. And Tal said, I wanted to share a tip with you guys. I received a Magic Mouse as a present. I hoped it would upgrade my older MacBook Pro uh, to the newer functionality. Needless to say, I was very disappointed to see there were three gestures and no customization options. After some research, I found a great free app called Better Touch Tool, which allows complete customization of the mouse. One, two, three finger gestures with and without click, zoom gestures, etc., each with the ability to map specific actions or keys to each gesture. Uh... So there you go for uh, for depending on which way you want to go, you might use one or perhaps even both of these utilities uh, for your magic mouse. And thank you to both Tal and Terry for. Or is it Terry? Yeah, I'm not sure. Again, we're getting the tongue twisters here. Uh, yeah, I try my best. Our, our, we do. Our we, New we, England we, accent is a show. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh, you say that? Uh, I thought no, that was Maine. That is Maine. But I'm only 10 minutes from Maine. And yet sometimes <laughs> it seems like it's a world away. Uh, we, uh, I actually, Doug? I want to give a shout out to all the, uh, the Mac Geek Gab listeners and Fish fans that uh, I was either met or uh, tweeting back and forth with at the Fish show last night in, over in Maine. There was uh, quite, a few of, uh, quite a few of us there. So it was pretty cool. Uh, in a small place, only holds maybe 8,000 people. Yeah, I saw you sent some pictures. Yeah. Didn't they say sold out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it sold out real sold? fast. Oh, yeah. really? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you got there early. You know, uh, I wanna, we bought I wanna, tickets early. I see. Yeah. I see. You know, I'm going to say Doug, I think, will kind of lead us into the... Come on. You want to do Doug? Yes, I do. All right, where are we time-wise here? Do we have time for this? Oh, yeah, we've got well, time we're for We're 45. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, okay. You may we've have had to this... condense the... Yeah, know, we've, we've had this question. The question. Yeah, we've had this question queued up for a while, so let's, uh, oh boy, let's see, how am I going to read this? Okay, uh, I had Doug writes, are we ready, John? Doug writes, I had one question that I thought would be fairly easy, but looking into it led to a few more questions that seem to be getting pretty complicated. I currently use Time Machine to back up my 250 gigabyte iMac drive with generally about half used onto a 500 gig external drive. I want to use SuperDuper to create a bootable clone on the same external drive. The SuperDuper documentation says it's possible to run SuperDuper side-by-side with Time Machine on the same partition if the drive is formatted as GUID. This has led me to the following questions. Uh, let's answer these questions as they come. So we'll, we'll bounce through all four uh, questions here, John. Number one, currently my external drive is formatted as Master Boot Record MBR. Do I have to reformat it as GUID? If so, is there a way to save my time machine data before doing so? Uh, and he's not says he's not sure of his time machine backup size. So, John, you you want to you got this this one? Well, I'm going to say at least uh, so for the first question, saying it's MBR, right? Yes. Um, does he have to? Absolutely. Yes, because I think you found this. I found an article. You are especially with that size of data. You're going to have problems uh, once uh, for whatever strange reason. MBR kind of wimps out if you start putting too much data. Let me look here. Uh, yeah. I'll bring up the article, but I think it's about 10 gigabytes. Really? In which Time Machine starts uh, rolling over. I'm going to bring up the... I okay. The right here. Uh, yeah, Time Machine does some funky things. Uh, now... Anyways, I I'm sorry, right here. So, uh, Mac OS 10, 10.5. Time Machine stops backing up to external disk. Symptoms. After about 10 gigabytes... Oh, my memory's still there. Or more of data is backed up to an external disk. Time Machine may stop backing up. This may happen the first time Time Machine backs up your files. Resolution. Basically, don't use MBR. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we'll link to the article, but that's basically what they say. Uh, uh, now, so, I, I MBR think the reason... is not what you... Uh, well, I think there's just something inherently limiting in MBR that Time Machine doesn't like. So so that is what Apple suggests. Reformat under GUID, which is really what you should be doing anyways, right? Yeah, okay. I'm going to... Uh, I'll take this in a different direction. It sounds like he's not running into this problem, which is a good thing, right? Uh, because he's already Yet. got, you know, a ton of data. out. Well, he's got more than 10 gigs of data out there. So I'm going to guess that, that, that he's bypassed whatever this is, or, or perhaps in 10.6, this isn't an issue. But... Uh, it was super duper that said, no, you have to go GUID, which is right. If you want to create a bootable clone, well, your machine's not going to boot from an MBR formatted disk. It has to be in uh, G or MBR partition disk. You have to be in uh, GUID. So, so that, that's number one. And, and 
there is no way to preserve your data as far as I'm aware. I, I believe you've got to wipe that whole thing. Uh, and and so, you you know, you're not going to preserve the data on that disk. You have to copy it somewhere else. Uh, yes. So in that unless, you know, I'm wondering if one of the disk recovery programs can do like a non-destructive re. Uh, I know there's non-destructive resizing. I don't think there's non-destructive repartitioning. So I'll take that back. Yeah. But but you and I both have heard of. Uh, I think uh, uh, I partition Drive Genius and some and other things will do. Yep. Uh, will do non-destructive within limits uh, resizing of a partition. But yeah, as far as. So yeah, you got to toss it somewhere else. It's going to take a while, but um, yeah, MBR is just not what I would use for any drive that's primarily used on a Mac. And here's the here's the general takeaway: a lot of third-party FireWire or USB drives that are out there today are coming formatted uh, and or partitioned using MBR uh, because and usually FAT32 and yeah, all that fun stuff. That's right, because, because one of the Windows file systems, which yeah, for the most part, will work. Yeah, and this is done because it's cross-platform, right? Windows uh, can use it as well as the Mac. But the problem is you get into these these situations where, well, you know, really on my Mac, I want to use GUID. So if you buy a new drive and you don't have some reason where you definitely want to use MBR, repart- and in fact, I would say out of the gate, unless there's, the drive comes with some data on it that, you know, you need, it might be some software or whatever, but I would say, you know, first thing out of the gate, repartition that drive and uh, set it up for, you know, GUID and 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 then, you know, HFS plus for the partition and, and go from there. So, uh, well, so. unless you want to share, that's the only right. reason which right. I don't do too often using a, a, yeah. a drive on, on both platforms. Yeah, just but, but you're well, right. NTFS sometimes. But, you know, the problem is still, I, you know, people told me that this may change, but it didn't. Uh, Snow Leopard still is read-only for NTFS. Unless you right. use something like uh, MacFuse, and uh, it's something I, I reviewed a while ago. There is a way to add, um, and I'm not sure if it works under Snow Leopard, but there is something, uh, NTFS 3G, I think it's called, that will let you write to uh, NTFL, NTFS volumes using Mac OS X. Though it's kind of experimental, so just had to toss that in. No, that's good. That's so. Good. All right. That was question one. Question Let's, one. Uh... Question two. <laughs> uh, although Super Duper and Time Machine can run side by side, would it be better to partition the external drive? If so, what's a good partition scheme? For example, 300 gigs for Time Machine, 200 gigs for Super Duper. What's best? Uh, I'll, I'll run with this because I do something similar yeah. here. Uh, I would definitely do a separate partition, uh, especially if you're going to make you're, you know, if you're using super duper to clone the drive and you want to be able to boot from it, you know, you want a clean partition to boot from uh, as far as I'm concerned. And I, you know, I wouldn't want to mess with having other data out there that I'm trying to kind of, you know, uh, clone around. So really what I would do is I would look at what's the most, I think I'm ever going to need for my super duper partition, you know, and you're saying that you use 120 gigs on your drive. So, you know, if you really don't think you're going to use much more than that, then make 150 gig super duper partition and give the rest to time machine. You, know, you want, you want to give time machine as much as it can so that you've got, you know, as much history in your backups as possible. But, uh, but I, I would definitely partition it. You, you, as John said, you can uh, dynamically and non-destructively alter the size of your partitions down the road if you have to, but you can't do that if the data is being used. So, you know, if time and time machine, as you know, will eat up all the parti- all the data that it can eventually. So I would, uh, so I would definitely, you know, choose your partition size, maybe, maybe exactly what you proposed, you know, 300 for time machine, 200 for super duper. That gives you a lot of headroom on your super duper and still, uh, you know, plenty of room to, to store your time machine data. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to have to though I'm usually if you recall, yes, um against partitioning, I'm going to grudgingly uh admit that in this case I think that's probably the best solution. Cuz you have two distinct applications that you want to support here. Time yeah. and and the the problem is though, although technically as far as I know you could lump the two together, I mean one of them is basically just a folder. And the other is a bunch of other folders that are right. part of a bootable drive. So in theory, you could run them side by side. But then yep. I think the problem is, 
his time machine's view of the world, uh, seeing the whole drive there could cause grief down the road. But yeah, time machine's going to eat up all the space. So, you know, at, at some point, you know, let's say you're at 120 gigs now of used data. So that's what you're using, you know, for super duper. But let's say you get up to 150. But no, nope, time machine's eating up most of that on the way. You know, now you've only got five gigs to play with and what's going to happen, you know, and yeah, you're super dupering every day. So hopefully you're buffering against that. But uh, no, it it doesn't work. I I do the super duper thing every night and I have a separate partition that I put it on. John, I'm like you. It's usually it's like uh, partitioning, you know, why? Uh, but in this case, yeah, you have to. It's the right move. All right. Now, you know, I'm just going to. Uh, not really a tangent, but you know, I'm looking here. I mean, you know, drives are, I mean, I got this one, the, the ego one from, I think it's Imation. Yep. 500 gig drive for like, and it was Mac specific. It's definitely for the Mac. Yep. So it came formatted and uh, and everything was great. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just reflecting that this may be more trouble than it's worth. And if you can rustle up any other drive to kind of accomplish your goals here, I, uh, you know, I would, I'm just I would... thinking, no, I, I disagree. You know, drives, oh, like yeah. you said, they're big, right? I mean, you got a 500 gig drive or a terabyte right. drive. Why waste all, if all you're backing up is, a, you know, if you've got a 250 gig drive in your, in your machine, that's the most that it's ever going to be, right? Your clone. So chop off a 250 gig partition, make it, make mm. the partition the same size as the drive that you're cloning. And then you've got the extra space. You're never going to use it for any, you know, for that clone. It's, it's just, it's impossible. Right. So it, 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 this is the instance where I think a partition makes absolute sense because unless you can buy a drive that small, but it, it's not economical. You're, you're going to, you know, it's, you're better off again, buying something I'll, bigger. Again, you've talked sense into me, I think. All right. Yeah. 500 gig is enough. Yeah. 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 And actually, it, yeah, because I, I just, uh, well, I have to think about this because, you know, I actually j- did buy a, uh, a ODBC case for a. 100 gig SATA drive that I found. I'm trying Ooh. to figure out what I'm going to do with it. But they had some good deals on cases. I think they still do. Cool. I'll have to check that out. Less than 20 bucks yeah. for a SATA 2 USB 2 case. Yeah. Or a SATA USB 2.0 case. Um, cool. Anyways, okay, so we'll assume that, yes, uh, you want to do two of these things on one drive. I, right. I just never thought of that. I, uh, I haven't quite figured out what I'm... Actually, right now, my external, the, the, the portable external, I only use that in the... Uh, CCC, you know, Karma Copy Cloner, full right. bootable mode, and to store additional data. So I, I've it, it, right now it's a single partition. Got it. I have to rethink that. Yeah. So the more questions. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so and I think we're, we're we're these these actually will be quick depending on the <laughs> the tangents. Uh, although the tangents are where the value is, if you ask me. A couple of time machine specific questions to wrap it up from Doug. With a 300 gig partition for Time Machine, eventually Time Machine will reach full capacity and have to start writing over other data. How does Time Machine determine what to write over? Does it simply go by oldest file? If I haven't opened a file for a while, will it eventually disappear from my Time Machine backup? If so, then uh, and and so we'll move on. No, it it does not overwrite your oldest file. Uh, it overwrites the oldest version of a file. So as long well, as it doesn't really write over. Well, and then it expires. Uh, well, no, I mean, it expires old, uh, the oldest right. content is pretty much what it does. As soon as it gets full, it says you're the oldest. So yeah, you you're gotta, gone. You got to go away because we're going to write over it. Right. I mean, it's going to reuse that space. No, Yeah, but I think it's going by the create. I, I think what he's suggesting, I think it goes by the creation date, not the modification date. But, or, but huh. no, no, no. It's the oldest version, though. It's very important to know. Right. It's not going to you will always if Time Machine is functioning properly, you will always have a backup of everything on your Mac. Oh, um, and that it will not. Uh, OK, I think I see what you're saying. It's not going to purge something entirely Correct. from time machine. There's going to be at least a version Correct. of a file that's been backed up. Yes. It will have at least the most current version or it'll yell at you and say, there's no, look, I, I don't even have room to function properly. You got to figure something out, dude. Right. But, but assuming that your drives a two fifty and your time machine partition is 300 gigs, you, you've got enough. Right. So yeah, it, it may not have more than say, you know, a week or two worth of, 
history out there, you know, so if you've got file revisions or if, or if you delete a file, uh, you know, that will persist in your backup as far back as time machine is able to make your backup go. But, but, you know, it, at some point it is going to right. recycle that data. So I, do we explain that right? Do we, I think we, I think we got that out right. So well, I think the answer is that it's never going to entire, it's never going to purge, totally purge a file right. from the backup. You're going to have at least one version and maybe the most recent but yeah, because I, I think the concern here is, is it's just going to push that data off into right. hyperspace and then I lose it, it forever. Doug, yeah, Doug's concern, and it's valid. You know, if I have a file in my documents folder that I never open, it's, you know, a file from college and it's 20 years old. Uh, and I don't mean to date you, Doug. I'm just pulling a number out of thin air because uh, I don't know how old you are. But, you know, you've got some 20 year old file out there. I haven't accessed it. I never access it. But someday I might want to. Is Time Machine going to back that up? And the answer is yes, it will continue to back it up until you delete it from your documents folder and no longer have it on your Mac. Mm. And then at that point, at some point, Time Machine will no longer keep the old version of that file if it needs to reclaim space. Uh, so so that's that's where that is. But if it is if it exists on your Mac in a way that you can access in your day-to-day files, and then it will always be in your time machine backup in at the very least, the most current backup. There you go. I think that's that sounds it. reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last question. Well, the last question isn't important because it, uh, because he's, he doesn't have to worry about that. Right. Cause it, if it's going to, if I have his, his last question is moot. It doesn't, doesn't matter because he doesn't need to know. Yes. Uh oh, where is the? I started playing the music. The band? How come I don't hear the music? Oh, this is bad, John. I don't hear it either. No. Does the band walk off? What is going on here? You hit the record button, right? What? Yeah, that's the first thing I checked was to make sure we're actually (laughs) recording. Uh, Good thing. I, I got nothing. Really. Nothing. I got nothing. I'm not doing it. <laughs> uh, I don't know what. Uh, All right. While you're fiddling around here, I'm going to talk about, you know, in the unlikely event you want to get in touch with us, how would you do that? And, you know, I have one suggestion, Dave. Yeah. You what's pick that? up the phone and you dial 206-666-GEEK, which is, there they are. 4335. Um. <laughs> So that's one way to do it. Another way is uh, you can email us. And, and if you want to email us, I think you would email us, Dave, at feedback at MacGeekGab.com. You got it. That's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. And you can not only email us, you can do audio attachments or, uh, you know, uh, screenshots, which we got and we love. And, yeah. you know, I got to say, when when we're trying to solve problems, sometimes a lot gets lost in the textual translation process. If you got a screenshot... We we found that that's incredibly helpful, and you know. But here's if you have that screenshot. You uh, go ahead. I'm gonna say, attempt to describe it textually, but also provide the screenshot because <clears throat> if we're gonna read it on the air, we do need a way to to describe it, and then we can add color or better descriptions based on what we're right. seeing. But uh, but yeah, do attempt to subscribe to describe it if. Uh, yeah, if, if I had and if I had to email that picture, I'd email it to feedback at macgeekgab.com. Did you say feedback at macgeekgab.com? Because <laughs> I know somebody called into the show actually wrote into the show they they recorded a message on their iPhone using the voice memo app and then emailed that to feedback at macgeekgab.com that's what I heard <laughs> I don't think we've ever mentioned it that many times so uh, <laughs> two is pushing it Skype it five Skype to oh, yeah, Mac Skype, Geek Skype. yep and you can yeah check out the show notes at macgeekgab.com uh, which will redirect you to where they are next week holy moly I'm in Austin next week what? I thought you said... Oh, wait. Oh, I am. I, I'm here Monday. That's right. We'll, we'll do the show in, in a normal fashion, and then the next day I get on a plane and go to Austin. Uh, so that is on December 8th. I am flying to Austin, and as long as everything goes well, I will be in attendance at the uh, CapMac meeting, which starts right. at 7 p.m. next week. So or we'll do uh, a weekend. No, we'll no, talk. no. We'll do... We can do Monday night. It's totally oh, okay. fine. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm around. Cool. Uh, what else? So... Oh iPhone. Have you heard about this? Uh, Yeah, I guess. (laughs) But no, there's this Twitter thing. Oh yeah, you can talk about Twitter. Go ahead. No, of course. No, it's uh, good. Twitter. You can. uh, The Mac Geek App Twitter is Mac Geek App. Dave Hamilton is at Dave Hamilton. John F. Braun, which is me, is at John F. Braun. 
Pilot Pete is at Pilot Pete and uh, the Mac Observer. I'm sorry, just Mac Observer. Is correct. That correct. That's right. It's twittercom observer for uh, is for where you get stuff. general uh, news feeds. Like you know, when yeah. I decide to write an article every now and then, it it, it came out on there. It yeah. was cool, and yeah. I even had my Twitter. You know, I said, "Is that that's an expressions thing, right?" Yeah, yeah, we've got it put in the uh, the Twitter address out there automatically. So link in the, the author, author, which is uh, yep, which is nice. Actually, you know, it's funny they link to us. Yeah, that's good. I saw they started following me, which oh. you know I've gotten over being kind of nervous about people following me. That's good. That's good. Uh, <laughs> iPhoneAlley.com is where Michael Johnston posts all of his content and hosts his own podcast uh, when he's not here converting all of this into AAC for you. Cashfly Hosting, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com, provides all the bandwidth for Mac Geek Cab. The podcast marketplace this month includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, Disc Label from Smile on My Mac. No, oh, 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 the band stopped. We're having all kinds of technical difficulties there. More coffee. Uh, Notebook from Circus Ponies and Pathfinder. Oh, not and Pathfinder. Pathfinder 5 from Cocotech and Bluebridge from Mikus. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And John, it's time for me to go catch up on the Patriots game. Huh? And the Patriots, they started playing uh, ah, New England. two hours ago. Patriots. The New England Patriots, that's right. Oh, you got TiVo. Yeah, I know. I gotta go, but I gotta go catch up and watch it, so I'm not up until four in the morning. <laughs> Don't get caught. Made up.